I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Joseph Lamagna. Uh, Joseph and I discussed uh, what the PGA Tour should do to combat live a few weeks ago. And I figured with the PGA Tour news, with the meeting last week with, with Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods kind of heading that up, and then the PGA Tour swift implementation of said plan for the 2023 season, uh, it would be a great time to talk to Joseph again and see, really evaluate how they did and where it goes from here. Obviously, a ton of details have yet to be sorted out. Next year will be a truncated version of the the full plan, but figured it would be good to discuss, you know, the finer points of where where it needs to go as they continue to to sort out all the little details with Joseph. All right, big changes on the PGA Tour. With that in mind, um, brought back Joseph Lamagna. Joseph, uh, thanks for coming on. We obviously talked uh, before the tour had really made any moves about how it should combat live. And uh, now they've made some moves. So excited to discuss and, and see, uh, see where we stand with these changes and if it's enough, uh, you know, significant change to really, you know, restructure the tour in a way that that's sustainable moving forward. Joseph, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Kind of a historic day on the PGA tour. I feel like this is a, a bit of a victory lap compared to where we were a couple of weeks ago when we last talked. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the tour seems to be heading in a direction and I think it's the correct direction, whether or not, you know, they get all the way to where they need to be. I think it remains to be seen, but for those that, uh, missed it, uh, for those that are tuning in and don't really know what happened, uh, Jay Monahan and Rory McIlroy, uh, did a, press conference at the tour championship on Wednesday morning and they announced uh the addition of 12 elevated events so the big thing that is the big change is that you will know when the quote-unquote top players and we'll get into what the top players are um will be playing so they have committed to play in 16 events uh in addition to three other events and they are they include, so there are the FedEx Cup playoffs, which is three events, the Genesis, the API, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, the Memorial, the WGC Dell Match Play, the Century Tournament of Champions, and then there will be four other events that will be elevated. They have yet to be determined, so four of the existing PGA Tour stops will be elevated. Um, we could speculate on on those, and it sounds like moving forward they are going to the idea of rotating those four. I like that idea if you're going to have to work in the existing structure. But then, along with those are the players, 
the Masters, the PGA, the U.S. Open, and the Open. So the majors, the players, and those other events. Um, and then top players will be required to play an additional three events. Uh, and these top players will be based off of the PIP. So the PIP, uh, the Player Impact Program, the much ballyhooed Player Impact Program that became effectively what Liv picked off uh, for their player selection uh, in the last year, will be expanded. It will go from 10 to 20 players. The PIP will go from 50 to 100 million, and it will have some changes. It will, it will remove the Q score and the social media score. It sounds like there will be a PIP rating for like, Almost every player on tour. Uh, it sounds like that will be something that is tracked. It's unclear whether it will be a public uh, facing, you know, ranking, which, which is interesting. Uh, along with that, they a couple things for like kind of the rank and file members were announced. A earnings assurance program. Upfront players will get five hundred thousand uh, dollars which will be go against their earnings. So it, it's effectively a, hey, this is a league minimum salary. Uh, and as players earn money, it will go against it, but it will be paid up front to players and uh, non-exempt players. So like guys that just missed out on being top 125 uh, will get a 5K travel stipend for each uh, for miscuts. So to kind of, ease some of those concerns. I think these were just kind of bones thrown to the rank and file uh, as they completely overhauled the system at the top. So um, this is going into effect in 2023. It's important. The schedule was already announced. So their hands were a little bit tied as to what they could do in 2023. I think it would look a little bit differently. I, I believe these will be full field events. In 2024, they will cut down to smaller fields for these special top tier events. But in 2023 with the field with the with the schedule already announced, there was really just a limited amount they could do. But this is, I think, significant that they got this done so quickly after the players only meeting last week. The fact that this has been pushed through in less than a week's time is significant. And um and I think 2024 schedule will look uh, significantly different than this year's. So, Joseph, off the top, what do you think of the changes? Yeah, I, I think you put it well that it's directionally correct. That is, I, I will say that for it, and it could end up being very good. There are some TBDs, and we're going to have to see how some of that shakes out. I think the easiest way to frame my perspective on the whole our, our conversation last time and what we're going to talk about today with the schedule is there's, there's a business quote I really like from Jeff Bezos, which is stubborn on the vision, flexible on the details. And there are certain things that I will be stubborn about that they need to accomplish these high level goals or else this still isn't in a good place. How you get there, flexible on some of that. So I, I think we'll get into that today. But Overall, it was a huge positive step for the tour yesterday. Yeah, I think obviously for anybody that's been following the PGA Tour live uh, debate and anybody that's been in the PGA Tour camp, the last six months have been painful. Like anybody that is like, OK, I do not want the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund 
really owning and and making decisions on on professional golf's behalf you know whole like them being the de facto effective dictator of of men's professional golf you know anybody that didn't want that to happen this has been a very bleak six months and finally it feels like there is some action and i think I think, you know, when I look at what happened yesterday, I think there were two leaders of the PGA Tour that stood up. And one was somewhat confused, uh, gave wishy-wash answers, and one stood up there very clear, was very clear, concise, and powerful with his messaging. And Jay Monahan was the, the one that was seemed almost befuddled and confused by what was going on. Whereas Rory McIlroy stood up there and what, what stuck out to me. And I think what I would center on Rory's quote of, we're trying to build a tour for young, ambitious players who want to be the best player in the world. That needs to be the mission statement of the PGA tour. And that needs to be what every decision they make and every single little thing they do from here out with this kind of restructure needs to be centered around that thesis statement. And my concern centers around, all right, we've got the big vision right. Who is executing the little details that is going to make or break this idea? I think like this I think the the big complaint from golf fans will be like, okay, you're just creating a bunch of WGCs that weren't really executed well in the first place. And my, I think my big concern is that the players have gotten together. They said, this needs to change. This is what we want to do. And they're handing it back to the same people that screwed up the WGCs. And we're going to effectively get the same thing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of directions we could go where a point that I wanted to make, I think is a natural follow up from what you just said. So I think the goal is to get the best players playing meaningful golf, right? Get the best players together playing meaningful golf. And you're kind of suggesting with the WGCs, like maybe the golf still isn't meaningful. Like You get the best players together, but it's not necessarily meaningful. The point I would make is we have to reform the playoff system yeah. and how the FedEx Cup points work. And that will inform whether or not the golf is meaningful. So if that is accomplished, I think we're there. I think they've done the the stuff that I'll be stubborn about. They've nailed it. If they don't fix that, if it's still 30 players playing in the finals and uh, you know too many players going to the playoffs and too many events getting points, then we haven't accomplished that. And you will end up with events that feel like WGCs. But if they reform the playoff structure and how the points work, then these events, they, they are much easier to interpret for the fan. You have the best players together and you understand, hey, this guy's got to step up and play well at Memorial, at Genesis, at the majors for them to qualify for the playoffs. So if they do that, I'm, I'm fully on board with what happened this week. Yeah, I think that's the biggest question. And I think obviously... I, I do not envy um, Jay Monahan and his team that have sold sponsorships through for, you know, a number of years forward based off of one thing and going back to the sponsors and being like, hey, 
I know we told you that this was like the greatest thing since sliced bread. This, this, like, especially in the case of FedEx. I know we told you that we've figured out, we've nailed this playoff system. You've, you've, I think they poured in a billion dollars and, you know, you've put your financial commitment behind this, but we need to change it. I think the biggest question, and you just hit on, is after 2023, knowing that, hey, in 2023, there was limited things they can do. After 2023, what does the playoffs look like? Because that's going to inform what these events look like, as you said. And, you know, now that they've got this in place, I think this is a big part of it. You know, what do the playoffs look like? If if there's going to be three events, how does that get trimmed down? How do you go? How do you go from, let's just say, let's take a number out of the air. 70 players are in a typical elevated event. How do you go from those 70 players down in the playoffs? How does that look? And I think that's the biggest question. And these are the little details that are going to make or break this for the tour. Agree. On the point of, I don't envy him for having to go back to FedEx and say, we're, we're changing things. I, the part I disagree with that, that keeps getting thrown around is that like FedEx is going to be so upset that we're dramatically improving the playoffs. Like th- this well, should be, but I'm saying they, they sold the deal. Like you understand. don't sell a billion dollar deal under the pretense of these playoffs suck. Like they effectively. And I think this is one of the big issues with like the leadership staying intact. Like in, in one of the things I wonder about long-term is like, how, how does the entire leadership team, I mean, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That is a adage that is pretty set in stone. And the entire leadership of the PGA Tour has operated under an old system that has been outdated and ripe for disruption. We have this disruption. We have a two-year window where they do nothing. And the players have to put this all together for them. And then you're going to hand it right back to that, that same leadership group. You know, this is not just Jay Monahan. It's everybody around him. You know, these people have been operating what they know the business as can no longer be the business. It has to change. So, you know, the reality is this is where my general lukewarm feel centers around is like, can these business leaders adapt and understand where it's going? And, you know, this is the first, the first challenge is going to be getting FedEx on board. Sure. And, and, Again, flexible on some of the details here, but I do know that it needs to be somewhere around eight players playing for the championship. And the criteria there, whether it's eight, whether it's 12, it needs to be that if any one of those players wins, you feel like they were the champion for the season. That is a non-negotiable. How you move back and decide, okay, it's going to be 36 players in the first round. However you decide to do that, I think there's some flexibility around, but you need to have a special championship and you cannot give FedEx Cup playoff points for every event. I think that's my biggest concern from seeing this new schedule is that, okay, sure, the top players are committing to playing 20 times, but is the incentive still for them to play 29 times, 30 times to give themselves the best chance of qualifying for the playoffs? If that exists, you've diminished the value of the schedule in a lot of ways and the playoffs at the end of the year still don't have the appeal that they should have for a season-ending championship. Does is that do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. So like just to 
to I think to make your point a little bit clearer, let's just use this year as an example to jump off of um, with the FedEx Cup. And I'm going to just run down the list as we head into this week. It's Wednesday. It's Thursday morning. Here is the FedEx Cup standings heading into East Lake, and you tell me when we get to a player that you would feel does not deserve to be in the final event and have a opportunity to win the FedEx cup. All right. Scheffler, Cantlay, Zalatoris, Shoffley, Burns, Cam Smith, Rory, Tony Finau, uh, Sepp Straka, playoff anomaly obviously <laughs> yeah do i have to butt in here and, and say stop <laughs> so so sep straka i think like i think there are names below him that deserve it but this is obviously one of the issues like sep straka probably shouldn't have been in the playoffs in the first place well but and part of the had... issue we're talking about a full schedule that they gave points to every event right <laughs> so so if, if you were to pare down the number of events that actually pay out Playoff points, somebody like Matt Fitzpatrick would show up higher because yeah. he won the US Open. And, and it wasn't because he Right, right. It's not getting your points through the RSM classic, through Bermuda, like those issues go away. Uh, so yeah, so, it, it needs to happen. So we get to like Sep Straka out. Does Sung Jay deserve to be there? Probably not, right? Yeah, right. I'd I'd want to pull up his, his schedule, but I'm I know Sung Jay He's a perfect person to talk about because his strategy from the beginning has been play as many events as possible because he understands qualifying for the playoffs isn't based on like your average points per event. It's just your total. So the incentive is to play as much as possible. And that's a significant problem. I kind of wanted to, we'll get there, but I kind of want to talk about how that's a similar problem to, to what the NBA is facing. And they're, they're doing something about it. So you have to remove that incentive for players. And Sungjae is the perfect talking point. John Rahm, maybe not. No, I mean, he year. hasn't had a great year. Yeah. Uh, Scott Stallings, definitely not. He's played really good golf. He probably should have been in some sort of thing. You know, recently he's played really good golf. But, you know, one T2 doesn't vault you into a finals. Uh, JT, definitely, right? With the PGA one. Right, right. And and again, we'd, we'd want to look at how did he do in a, in a subset of events? So I'm sure under our revised cr- criteria, like he'd, he'd probably be qualifying because we'd reward the majors heavily. Cam Young, probably. Yeah, I mean, he had a good year. Matt Fitzpatrick in, as we talked about, I mean, he was leading strokes gained total for a long time. Um, and then and then you get into like Max Homa, Hideki, Jordan Spieth, Joaquin Neiman. And I think at that point, you're like, no, none of these players. So if you take out Sepp Straka, Sung J.M., John Rahm, Scott Stallings, right there, you're at 12, 11 players. So we're right where you talked about, 8 to 12 players. And, and I think what's so promising about what the PGA Tour did this week is having this schedule of 14 events that you know all the best players in the world are going to play. Those are the perfect events to give the FedEx Cup playoff points to and stop there. Like That's the 14. You know all the top players are going to be there. and And that's all we're giving points to. Everything after that, we're going to have to incentivize in a different way, but we're not going to set the system up to have bad incentives. And and I think like, so you, we, the big question, telling FedEx like, hey, this is how it's going to work, right? At that point, don't you like that? Don't you say like, yeah. hey, if FedEx Cup points are coveted, they're, 
they aren't just handed out like they are now. <laughs> FedEx Cup points mean something, and they are they are the they are the currency of of elite golf on tour. Right, and and maybe this is a natural. I think some of the counter argument here will be okay if that's how you do things. Then how do you end up doing out status on tour? Uh, if, if only those 14 events are paying out, like what do the other events represent? And I think the best solution that I can come up with is you maintain basically two lists. You have your FedEx Cup points list and you have an eligibility list, which could sort of be similar to like the official world golf rankings, but internal to the PGA Tour. You just have a point system that when you're playing outside of one of those 14 events and in those 14 events, you're, you're accruing points they just aren't trans. They don't translate into qualification for the playoffs. They translate into status. And mm-hmm. I think what the PJ Tour will love about that is I think I came up with another list that they can brand and sell. So uh, that's uh, <laughs> that should be music to their ears. Maybe it could be the Comcast uh, Business uh, Tour top ten, right? Sure. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Riomar. It's been a while. Riomar is back. They've been a longtime supporter of the fried egg and the shotgun start. Uh, Riomar makes wonderful shoes. They are they're kind of uh, dress up, dress down types of shoes. Great for wearing to golf, after golf, to the bar for post drink. They have uh, deck drivers and, and a bunch of different leather shoes. They uh they offer a lot of great features. My favorite one is that, you know, one of my concerns with shoes that you'd wear without socks is, you know, they start to smell after a while. I've had a pair of Rio Mars for a couple years now and they do not smell. It's one of their best features. They also have women's shoes, so this is not a a male-only shoe. They have good-looking shoes that Mrs. Friday even enjoys. And if you use the promo code TFE 15 you will get 15% off your order so go to riomar.com and check out their offering of uh of really shoes that are versatile and they last a long time so riomar.com use the promo code tfe15 and thank you to riomar for your support now back to joseph lamagna so how, how do you feel about the pip being the decider of the first 20 spots in these events and then how do you think the rest of the spots should be filled? Right. I, I need to get some clarifying information on. My understanding is that you're only that the PIP qualification does not qualify you for all of those events. That, but instead, if you that if you are in the top twenty in PIP, you must play in as many events as as you qualify for, basically. But broader point. I I am not a fan of the expansion of the PIP. And I think that's my my biggest concern in seeing what they did this week. I have a lot of reasons for why I don't like the PIP being expanded. I think for one, having a black boxed formula that spits out $100 million a year is a concern. And I also think you have to consider what, incent- what it incentivizes. Um, there, Do you want contrived drama and players trying to make a splash online because that's what ultimately they're incentivized by. I mean, do you, some of this stuff gets really like part of the criteria is internet searches. Yeah. There's enough money in this. Do you, do you want a player figuring out how to set up bots to go search his name all year? Like that's, that might sound crazy, 
but this is incentivizing things in, in a way that I don't think is necessarily healthy for the tour. And the point that I would make would be, I think players are already incentivized to have awareness, right? There are business opportunities that are available to you. There are sponsorships that come to you when you have strong brand awareness. Like, is it really necessary that the tour is allocating money to those players and in, in providing that incentive on top of what they already are incentivized to do? I think this could lead to some behavior from players that you just don't want to see. And more importantly, I don't think a player should have to worry about their PIP if they're trying to be the best golfer in the world. Just let them play golf and things should take care of themselves. I think this is, I, you're probably going to hear me say this multiple times on this podcast, but I'm going to go right back to the Rory quote. The, the, what should be the general thesis of this entire tour and every decision should center around, are we, is, does this work towards this? We are trying to build a tour for young, ambitious players who want to be the best player in the world. Nowhere in there does it say the most popular player in the world. This is, you know, the PIP, if that $100 million a year was allocated in a different way, you know, maybe one, like, I think the biggest shortcoming of the PIP, without a doubt, is that there is nothing in the PIP formula that has to do with how you play on the golf course. Imagine if the NBA operated this way. It would, like, would we have somebody that was like a, you know, like, can we allow, like, influencers into the PIP? Like, does, uh, you know, the, the best trick shot artist, like, does he, he have a chance at, at pit money because of this? Like, it's, it's just silly. It, it, it then becomes like, you know, it should be, there should be a significant aspect of this that is based off of on-course play at the bare minimum, if not all of it should be based off. Why, why don't you just have another hundred million dollars that you can throw at your top players that, that can go to word off the live tour money. And, and that's the other thing that I want to talk about maybe later is like, how's live going to respond to this? Because there is going to be a response. And and to think like the tours already made the d- mistake of at Riviera thinking it was over when the Phil comments came out, we're moving on. This is not over. It's, it's going to be a five, five year battle here. Like everybody's dug in. The tour has made a, a counter move back and there's going to be something that comes back from live. Yeah, and to go back to the to the pip, and I think a whole part the the continuity between the last time we talked and now, like my message is going to be the same. This is an incentive issue. So if you are a top, let's say you're an aspiring professional, you're you're 25 years old, you just get your PGA Tour card. Say say you're say you're uh, Pearson Cootie. Sure, or even even take it a step further. Say you have like a language barrier or something. You're from a, a different part of the country, a different part of the world. Why why do you have to worry about how the player impact program works? Like I think you should be worried about your game. It, like is my wedge game up to snuff? Like do I know these golf courses? Can I putt on POA? Like why do I need to worry about or my agent has to worry about how I can grow my brand awareness because some of our tours funds are being allocated towards this season end. Like I, I just don't think it puts players it, it's a le- there's a level of overhead there that I don't think players should have to be dealing with. And you have to have a system of good incentives for a full-blown schedule to work correctly. Yeah, and just on that PIP, the issues with the PIP, right? <laughs> so last year is a perfect example. Hideki. Hideki Matsuyama wins the Masters. It's, it's estimated that that win 
is a billion dollar win for Hideki. Japan, and I think majority of people listening to this podcast are Americans. And if you're just a, a golf fan, you know, you might not understand like Japan is a golf crazed country. Japan is a vital, you know, when you talk about the tour and their growth, like, you know, a company, their values a lot of times predicated on how much bigger can your, your game get. Japan is a big piece of this puzzle. It is a, a wealthy country that has a lot of golf fans. Hideki Matsuyama is Japan's Michael Jordan in a way. You know, you go to an event and Hideki made the cut on the number. You know, you go to the a major, Hideki made the cut on the number. For most American players, those who made the cut on the number, nobody is watching. Not one press is watching, you know, that player. If it's, you know, Jordan Spieth, nobody went out and watched Jordan Spieth right after he made the cut. You go out to Hideki, there will be a sea of 20 plus Japan, Japanese media outlets. So Hideki wins the Masters and wins his home country's PGA Tour event, which he said he felt more pressure at than the, than the Masters. You know, these this is like sportsman of the year in Japan, without a doubt, home run, like you know, he is the biggest thing in sports in Japan, this huge economic country for golf. And he, it, Bubba Watson's 10, Hideki can't even get it, beat Bubba Watson in this contrived, whatever, you know, cash pot handout that you've, you've put together. And like, I know they, they've updated this, but this is going to be like an inexact thing. Like this is the, the pitfalls of it. And Hideki didn't get that because it was an American bias system is always going to be American bias because it's put together by Americans. Right. That's that's the part that I think the tour would come back and say, look, we agree we messed up. Hideki should have been in there. Yeah. Um, but we've revised the system now. We've removed social media, which I think they just couldn't figure out. I was laughing because it said social media is always changing. So it's hard to capture. It's like they probably couldn't figure out how to handle TikTok. Like that's probably what that means. But to your point, like, the it's always going to be a biased system in some direction and why is the tour are you signing up for maintaining that like that's the part do you want to deal with the complexities of internet searches and if somebody searches hideki golf is that hideki matsuyama or not like why do you want to sign yourselves up for maintaining that kind of logic and then putting it behind a black box or putting it in a black box where people can't see how the calculation is working. I think if they're going to do this and lean into it, it has to be public and the methodology has to be transparent. Would it be just better served with a hundred million dollars? And this is like a question I would ask Rory McElroy If I talked to him, I would ask Jay Monahan. If I talked to him Would the hundred, can you tell me with a straight face, if the hundred million dollars would just be better served, if you just said, if you finished in the top 10, We'll distribute the hundred, you know, top ten of the season-long race. Assuming that gets cleaned up, we're going to distribute a hundred extra million dollars in that. I'd be fine with that, but I think what they would say is, no, we want to get some of these players who are really marketable, like a Tiger Woods, who may not play and may not be able to compete. Like, let's still reward them, or even potentially somebody like Ricky Fowler. There are, I still think there are other solutions to that. I know the one I'd thrown out. People may not love it, but if you did like an all-star weekend or some exhibition where fans could vote on who participated that's that's actually a cleaner more direct way of funneling money to some of the players that are most marketable so i think broader point pip is 
I, I can sort I, I can even maybe get behind the goal of PIP, but I, I cannot get behind implementation and some of the incentives that it creates. And I think those are that's enough to nix the program. Yeah, and I I, I mean, uh, to me, having this be a a big part of your overhaul is a big mistake because it was this was legitimately one of the least effective things that was done to attempt to counteract live last year. This was put in place to counteract live. You know, this was supposed to appease people like Phil Mickelson. Five of the ten players that got the pip are now on live. You know. <laughs> But but overall, Andy, I don't want to be too negative. Like I agree, this this is a, a problem. I don't think it's overly significant. Like I still think the bulk of what they did yesterday, like we're we're good. Like that was it was good. It was smart. We're on the right path, and it could end up being really good, especially if they reform the playoffs and the point structure. The pip is a, a minor setback, but overall, we're moving in the right direction. I agree, completely agree. I as I said at the top, this was a very refreshing day. My next question would be, how, how do you go about filling these fields? Right. I think what I do, I think I go with the two points lists. So if there's 120 spots, let's say the first 70 could be filled from players from the previous year who, who got their eligibility, right? They're, they're exempt, fully exempt into the next year. So 120 spots, however many of those first 70 players decide to sign up for that event they're registered after that you got 50 spots and i'm filling them with the highest ranking in this secondary list which basically is a a ranking system of previous year corn Ferry tour it's the weakest events on the pj tour potentially plus some of the strongest events on the corn Ferry tour and and you have that eligibility list constantly updating so that you, you know you, you have a playoff list eligibility list Constantly in flux, constantly bringing up the youngest talent. I think that's the way I, I would probably go about it. The only other way I can think of is doing it with like OWGR, but I think that introduces some complexity and potentially some antitrust. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but maybe you don't want to get more involved with OWGR. That is a way to do it, though. I, I mean, I think this is actually like kind of brilliant in the sense of like they have this opportunity to distance themselves from the OWGR and potential <laughs> like legal ramifications of that. As well, I think this is like an unbelievable opportunity. This this might be the biggest opportunity outside of just we aren't going to just hemorrhage our top players is that you finally have the excuse to really reform how the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour interact with this moment. You know, we have been stuck and this is like the thing that probably worries me the most about handing back the keys to the leadership that has their entire lives have been around appeasing player 100 on the PGA tour. That's, that's literally what their incentives are. If I am the standout collegiate player, if I just say I'm Sam Bennett, I just won the USAM. How, how do you, how do we create a system that Sam Bennett can be up in these big events? If he plays well, if he plays well, he can be up in these big events as fast as we possibly can get him up there. And the biggest opportunity to me with this whole thing centers around reforming how the Corn Ferry Tour and the bottom tier of the PGA Tour interact and how these players get up to the top. 
Exactly. And I think that the system that I'd be advocating for here would be pretty simple. So, you know, maybe a win in a Corn Ferry Tour event gives you like whatever, 25 points, which might be equivalent to a T10 and some PGA Tour events, which would be 25 points. So you're, you're kind of comparing apples to apples. And then at any given point, you could look at the eligibility list and it's going to, the top's going to mostly be the top players on the PGA Tour, right? But once you start to get to 70 to 125, you're in that range. That's going to be updating pretty often. And then a player gets into a, a memorial, gets into Genesis, plays well and earns playoff points. Like there, there would be a way to configure the system so that it's in flux, constantly elevating talent. And I think the cleanest way to do that is to f- separate the idea of playoff qualification criteria and eligibility criteria. It does not have to be that all 70 players who make it to the postseason are fully exempt for the next year. That, that's a concept that doesn't have to stay. It, it shouldn't be relegation or postseason. There could be a middle ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the biggest thing, like as of right now, and I would even extend it down to Canada and Latin America, these points all need to have some value and relate to each other. Maybe the point, the FedEx Cup points don't relate in any way. And I'm fine. And I think that is fine. Those are your, you know, your top tier that are only earned in specific events, as we've talked about. But every other point on a tour that you run, maybe not Champions Tour, that should be just gone in general. But every other point that you earn on Latin America, Canada, uh, Corn Ferry, or this bottom tier of tour events, they need to relate. They should all be the same currency. Uh, yes, and, and I would double down really hard on the, on this concept that they should be separate because, for example, you do not want to get in a situation where a top player like Rory McIlroy plays those 17 regular season events and then feels like, you know what, I need to keep playing to have my best chance of qualifying for the playoffs. Like You, you want to avoid that. The, the incentives have to be set up properly for the stars. So by keeping those separate, you're not mixing up you aren't incentivizing the top players in the world to just play in as many events as possible. That waters down the product. Again, I think the clear example here is the NBA who's dealing with the same thing. Like how do you get the stars playing in all of the regular season? Explain that a little bit. There are a lot of analogies you can make for, for what the PGA tour is facing. I think the NBA is actually probably the best one. Uh, It's a little different. Like there's some, there's guaranteed money to the, the players contracts are guaranteed and stuff, but overall they have an 82 game regular season and then a postseason. And a problem that the NBA has had is that some of the stars sit out a lot of the games. And it's not always the star's decision. Like sometimes that's based on medical advice and that you should be resting your body. Point is, it's really hard to play all 82 games if you're an NBA player. And it's probably hard to make the sell to those guys that those games are that impactful. So the NBA is getting out in front of it. You know, there's not even a, a Saudi backed irrational actor as jay monahan would put it and they're considering how to make their product better they've done many things to actually move towards creating a better system of incentives one of those things was reforming how the lottery system works for draft picks to incentivize teams to continue to compete they've changed their playoff structure so that there are now two additional play-in spots so if you're the ninth or the tenth seed in your conference you're still incentivized to keep playing you don't want to be the seven or the eight seed now. So you're incentivized to get up into the sixth or the fifth seed. Like broader point, they have evaluated how can we make the system of incentives 
proper. Uh, and, and they're even considering shrinking their schedule. From, from what I hear, that that's not a leading uh, contender for what they're going to do. But they may put in like a, a a tournament in the middle of the season to substitute some games to make all of the games more elevated and, and for every game to have meaning. So I think, again, broader point here, you have to constantly be evaluating how you make all of your games meaningful. And if that system gets out of whack, then you, you got to rebuild it. Yeah, and, and it's such an important point because this is not over once this is instituted. This is not, we've we've beaten Liv. And even if Liv goes away tomorrow, the the goal of the organization should never, should always be centered around how do we field the very best product? How do we make everything mean the most we possibly can? As opposed to the mentality of the last 40 years has been, how do we make number 100 on the on the money list happy right it just it just can't work that way the, the the system has to be set up so that every player understands how do i get to the best to be in the best player on the pga tour and what are the incentives that are laid out in front of me all right so with this you know obviously we've talked a, a, a great deal about the the structure uh do you have a, you you've talked about the all-star game and uh one of the one of the things that reminded me of of your topic of All Star Game is Tiger and Rory, the TMRW, the Tomorrow Group, and their TGL, uh, which will be. This was announced yesterday too. Kind of odd that it was announced the same day as this, this wide sweeping reform of the PGA Tour. But there will be effectively All Star competition, All Star like competitions. It'll be a screen golf league played on Monday nights of uh, of tour events, and they'll feature people like Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods. They will be a team event. Uh, you know, this will be set up in partnership with the PGA Tour. I think this is a, obviously, this was created by Rory and Tiger, another avenue for top players to make more money and also opens the door. I think this is like, you know, just from a business side of things, a landmark thing opens the door for joint ventures effectively with the PGA Tour and for profit profit ventures backed by players. Really, you know, like this is you have an idea, bring it to the tour and you can do it in partnership. This has always been a closed shop and this is a landmark, you know, in terms of where the tour goes and the things that are attached to the tour. I think it's a landmark, you know, situation. Oh, it's great. Finally, some innovation, right? Like get get creative with it. Get nuts. Like if they're hitting crazy shots in these stadium-like structures and, and crazy shots we've never seen before, fine. Like put something on prime time. They're, they're going to, I think they're going to do well. I don't know all the details here, but I think they're going to do very well on this concept. And it's creative, finally. Like this is excellent by Rory and Tiger. Yeah, I mean, you think about like a lot of co- uh, companies. Like one of the one of the ways Salesforce became a really big company is an open platform, right? Where which means that other entrepreneurs, other innovators could build things on their platform. Not all the innovation has to come from within the moat at Empanavidra, and this is a great example. Allow innovation to happen outside of your bubble and then bring it in and profit from it. You know, not they're a nonprofit, right? But allow this to continue growth. Like all the growth ideas don't have to be your own, right? 
if you allow for open, you know, collaboration with other organizations, this is a really healthy way for the tour to grow their revenue, build loyalty with their top players, but also innovate, which is something that they've really struggled with. And I hate, I hate going there, but also a way to get money to the most marketable players on your tour. Like this, this is how you do it, not through some contrived thing like the PIP. So go, go this direction, like put those players, the marketable players in a position to profit off of their awareness. You don't have to calculate some kind of awareness score. Uh, all right. So now with the, as, as Jay Monahan likes to say, irrational actor, the, the live tour, do you, how do you anticipate their response? So do you, do you foresee, you know, anything that they are going to do to attempt to kind of what, what would be their next chess move? I think it's just increasing the amount of money they're paying to some of these players and trying to pull them over. But now it's harder to pull some of those top guys off. And I do think what's important for the PJ tour is to be involving all these stars in the decisions, like to be having those players only meetings and for Hideki Matsuyama to feel valued, your opinion, you are wanted here. So it's, it's going to be harder, but I think Liv just has to keep throwing money at these guys and figure out a way that they're kicking off some of these players who have bad contracts. I mean, yeah, you, you, you cannot have a closed off system. So they need to figure out some way, which kind of goes against their business model to have players flowing between tours, whether it's like just the Asian tour and live tour, you can't have a closed off system. All their world rankings are going to tank. So, uh, you can sign those guys up, but they'd have to be committing to never playing in majors unless they qualify another way. That's that's the decision that players are making at this point. It's why the tours most, you know, I think the thing where you can be the most bullish on is if they continue to push on this idea of the most competitive tour. That was their best chip to play against a a organization with more money than them. Like the ability to financially reward players, you know, they can't compete with live there. And that's why it's so smart and why every decision they make has to center around. Does this fit with Rory's? We are trying to build the tour for the young, ambitious players who want to be the best player in the world because Liv's system can't compete with that. Right. And the only way they could, I think, is through the Asian tour. But like you said, that would go against a lot of players' contracts. Like, how are they? What are they going to say to Henrik Stenson, who obviously he won, but the guy's washed. He's not a not a top flight player anymore. What are they going to say to Lee Westwood? What are they going to say to James Pyatt? You know, who signed a contract like isn't one of the better players in the world. Like, that's the that's the way they can fight back. Is is through this? Yeah, but again, I, I'm agreeing with you that the PJ Tour. What they can do is offer the best competition, and we're really close to it. We're not there yet, though. And and that you, the point I want to make: we have to reform the playoffs. Like this, without that, I'm I'm out on what happened this week. If they do that, I'm fully in. Like you can't, we can't call this a success until you've figured out the whole schedule, which has to culminate in a special championship with only a limited number of players, like eight to twelve. So I'm with you. That's the the PGA Tour's best that's the hand that they can play they haven't they, they've moved towards playing it but they haven't fully played it we, we have to see that yeah and i mean i will say this like the big ideas are easy the easiest thing is the big ideas 
And what concerns me is really the small details, the little things like what, and I think the FedEx Cup playoffs are really a big part of it, but like the the minute minutia of how guys get into fields, how people qualify, like all these little details are the things that are going to make or break this. And I think there's a lot of celebrating. And I think that it is important because, you know, is there is a right to celebrate, but it's not over yet. This is we have, you know, if you use another sports analogy, we've won the we've won won the division, and now we're going to the playoffs. There's a celebration after winning the division, but this is not done yet, and they need to do a lot of work, a lot of hard work on these minute details in order to make sure that this is the smashing success that it could be. Yeah, yeah. So, I th- real quickly on that, if we were talking to Jay Monahan right now or the commissioner Rory McIlroy, um, <laughs> part of I think their hang-up is tying a lot of this playoff criteria to eligibility. Like they also announced now that if you qualify for the Tour Championship, you're going to have a two-year exemption. Like I think we need to get away from this necessity to tie eligibility and playoff criteria together like th- this is what concerns me right now you're saying 30 players are going to be exempt for two years and you're also going to be playing in the tour championship that that is worrisome i think we're potentially going to keep doing a tour championship that doesn't make sense and that doesn't have a lot of juice how excited are people for the tour championship this weekend like nobody it are, should be a spectacle nobody. think about any awesome. other golf league or any other professional sports league that the right. last game of the season is like the one that gets the most poked fun of. Imagine imagine waking up and whatever, checking Twitter, checking the newspaper and seeing, oh, Patrick Cantlay is playing Rory today. Like that would be fun. Let's have an, an eight-person match play. That'd be awesome. So again, huge win for the PGA Tour this week. They're moving the right direction. We need this final piece to be checked off for me to be <laughs> fully on board with everything that they're doing. So exactly. I'm stubborn on that vision, flexible on some of the details. Exemptions should be the most coveted thing that you can get. Win exemptions shouldn't exist. Shouldn't get an exemption for winning Bermuda. Shouldn't get an exemption for winning John Deere. Shouldn't get an exemption for winning the Travelers, in my opinion. Shouldn't get an exemption for making the Tour Championship. We've seen friend of the pod, Roberto Castro, make the Tour Championship, not retain his card the next year two times. This is not, you know, seasons are aberrations, right? You know, so many times a player has a down year and then a great year right after. You know, the, you know, great years can pop up. You can string together eight hot weeks. You can string together one good week and make the tour championship if that one good week comes at the right time. You cannot give out exemptions. Like gi- giving out a two-year exemption should be the most like valued currency on the PGA tour. And once again, exemptions, the idea of exemptions go completely against the vision of, we are trying to build a tour for young, ambitious players who want to be the best players in the world, because that those exemptions block the young players coming up and having spots to play. It blocks the free flow that you need in order to get young players that are the Cameron Youngs of tomorrow up as quickly as possible. Right. And I think, the, again, to build on that, we're there. The, the infrastructure is now laid that you don't have to do that. 
if you have these 14 events that are the only ones giving out playoff points, you're not going to have some of these names get filtered through to the tour championship because they picked off weak fields. Like now, now we're in a place where we can eliminate that. Let's implement it. Only playoff points for those 14 events, revised playoff structure. And now you have a season that makes sense and you have the best players in the world coming together to play meaningful golf. All right. I think that's a great spot to stop. Joseph, thank you again. People can find your writing at uh, uh, on Substack, Finding the Edge. Uh, you also do analytics consulting for high-end golfers. So anybody that's interested in that can contact you. What? How do they contact you for that? You can reach out to me on Twitter at Joseph Lamagna, L-A-M-A-G-N-A. My, my email is on my Substack as well. But I think the yeah schedule optimization maybe has has ventured into the PGA tour, hopefully taken some of the ideas. So Andy, if you want to co-own a little schedule optimization business for the PGA tour, I'm in. All right. Well, you know, we'll see the, the optimization will be limited if, uh, if they, if they don't give up playoff points for everything, but if they do, if they continue to do that, optimization will give uh give a big edge to anybody that's looking to get it. I, you know, I didn't ever think about Sungjae as a manipulator, but he is. Oh, no, I, that, that's not my message. <laughs> so, all right, Joseph, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, and uh, have a, uh, hopefully this goes the r- right direction, and you really, I hope you really enjoy the Tour Championship this weekend. I can't wait. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode was edited by the great Meg Atkins. Thank you, Meg. A quick reminder, our pro shop is fully stocked and loaded. Next week, we will be having a Labor Day sale. So starting kind of early next week, I think we'll probably do an automatic discount. So visit proshop.thefriedegg.com and uh, keep an eye out next week for our Labor Day sale. Thank you, and we will be back early next week with another episode of The Friday. 